0: folks welcome to yet another episode of the TGV global speaker series and the guest for today is Catherine Imabayashi and she is from Japan. Cathy is a dedicated advocate for children's for children's rights and education with a deep passion for addressing the unique challenges that boys often face. She, she firmly believes in the inherent rights of all individuals with a special focus on the most vulnerable members of our society, our children. And Kathy recognizes the profound impact that parents and educators have in molding the future generation. So as you prepare to delve into our conversation on the topic at hand, here is an exciting twist. Let us tickle her brains first. So Kathy... Get ready for a rapid fire round of random words. I'll mention a few and I would love to hear the first thing that comes to your mind in response without thinking much. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. All right. Here comes the first word. Curiosity. Life. Invention.
1: Alexander Graham Bell.
0: Future. Right. Book. Treasure. Movie.
1: Family home movies. Food. Enjoyment. Place. Gilly Meno.
0: Name. Vaughn. Animal. Tiger. World. Peace. Awesome. That's the quickest rapid fire round. And thank you so much for participating so sportively. Kathy, really appreciate it. And there is one more waiting. There is one more rapid fire round waiting towards the end of the episode. So stay tuned. And folks. Welcome to the Guiding Voice podcast series, where we embark on transformative conversations for a better future. I'm your host, Navin Samala, dedicated to making the world a better place through valuable discussions that add value not only to your life, but also to your career. And thank you so much for tuning in. Kathy, hearty welcome to the Guiding Voice podcast. And I'm super thrilled to have you and host you in our conversation today. How are you doing today?
1: Very well. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It's it's really a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, pleasure is mine too. And Kathy, let's get started with your success mantra. So please share with our audience the top three things that have contributed to your success so far. Uh,
1: I would say the first one is uh, my upbringing, Uh, both my personal family upbringing and also that I grew up in the 50s and 60s. So the times of women's liberation. So that ties in very well to my passion now about supporting boys. Uh, the second thing would be curiosity. That has made a very big difference in everything that I do. And that mostly mm-hmm. came from my father with his imagination and creativity. And the third would be um, trusting in the
0: universe. Wow. Upbringing, curiosity, and then trusting in the universe. Awesome. And Cathy, okay. you mentioned that an incident involving your son was a turning point in your life's mission. So can you share that experience with our audience and how it ignited your passion for understanding and also advocating for the emotional world of boys?
1: Sure. When my son was uh, around three years old, I took him on a beautiful Saturday afternoon and we went um, to go fishing. He wanted to go fishing. His father was working. Mm -hmm. So I took him to this little creek that was uh, just off the road somewhat, not deep in the woods, but off the the main track. Uh, Japan is a very safe place, so I didn't worry about anything like that. And we went down and we were having a wonderful time. Within a short amount of time, I looked up to the path that we had come down and there was a group of boys coming down, a gang. And there was something that happened that was so instinctive and so guttural. Um, It was automatic and it was fear. Like real fear, there's a gang coming down, how am I going to protect my son and myself? The boys got closer and it was obvious that they were, they were the same age group that I was teaching at that time. So they were upper elementary. So almost more than anyone else, I should have been someone who recognized that even though they had the bigger male bodies, they were still just little boys inside. There were no threat whatsoever and we spent the afternoon together and it was beautiful but that night when I got home I could not let it go I'm very Mm -hmm. analytical and Mm -hmm. it bothered me greatly like greatly Mm -hmm. that I reacted in that manner and the thought that was the pivotal change for me was thinking that possibly in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years Mm -hmm. that my son would be walking down the road and another mom or a woman would be simply because he was me. And that thought just crushed me. And mm. it was like, well, where would that come from? And, and it's not fair. And so I wanted to learn more and figure out how to support my son. And then as a result, any boys that I came in contact with.
0: Quite a moving. And uh, boys also often face these societal stereotypes of being violent and toxic how do these uh, stereotypes affect their emotional well-being and what can parents as well as educators do to challenge and change these perceptions
1: well what happens is that you know when little boys are growing up they they have the you know they have the deep feelings the emotions they they you know are vulnerable but There's a a code. It's referred to as the boys' code in North America, Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's the set of society's rules you're supposed to behave. So they learn from a very young age what is acceptable and what's not acceptable, Mm. and as they uh, need to adapt what they're thinking and feeling in order to behave in a way that's acceptable, they start to put on masks. So they cover their authentic feelings and mm-hmm. present these masks of what is expected for them so they can fit in. And as time goes on, they end up wearing more and more and more masks so that eventually it's very difficult for them to really tune into that deep emotional inner world that, that, is, that they started out with.
0: Hmm. Kathy your mission is to support parents in understanding their sons better and also so that they can parent with empathy so can you share with our audience some practical strategies or advice for parents who are navigating the complexities of raising boys in today's world
1: it's challenging because the the thing is is that you don't know what you don't know and until you are aware that there is an issue, then you're not doing anything about it. And usually you're perpetuating the problem. So the very first thing is being able to kind of uncover what your own unconscious usually gender biases are and how they are impacting your parenting. And that can come from society. It can come from your own background. It can come from your culture, it can come from whatever media that you you are viewing, but Whatever your thoughts are about how a little boy is supposed to be, that is going to come out. Once you are aware that you have you have those um, biases, then you can work on those. But you have to be aware first. And it's kind of like you know when you're when you decide you're going to buy a car or something, and you yeah. so you're going to get a Jeep, and then all of a sudden because you've in your brain. You see red jeeps everywhere. Like, it's yeah. just, that's the way it always happens. Once something comes into your awareness, you start seeing more and more of it. So once you start becoming aware mm. of what unconscious biases are part of your world, you will look to see it's in society. It's in every aspect that has something connected with your child. And once you have the awareness... Mm -hmm. then you start learning more about what are those gender differences. And once you learn what those gender differences are, then you can start to support your son Mm -hmm. in being able to deal with the challenges of being in a society that may not recognize or respect what those differences are.
0: I love the analogy. Now let's move forward and switch gears, talk from the boys' perspectives. So how can we encourage boys to embrace and express their emotions more freely while navigating these societal expectations that often suppress emotional vulnerability? I think this is something very rarely spoken topic.
1: Yes, very much so. So if if a parent is aware mm-hmm. of, of what the society rules are, the boy code, then one of the first things that they can do is help their son understand it. Help their son understand why, in the park, uh, a little girl's mom um, doesn't treat him very good because accidentally he bumped into his daughter on the swing, and explain to him that that's he's not he's not bad because of it, but it's the 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 dichotomy, dichotomy between what is the expectation for how the boy is supposed to behave, and the boy is expected to be wild and and rough and. The girl is supposed to be the one who is protected by the parents. So that doesn't make a lot of sense to that little boy because sometimes that little boy will be in situations where he's with little girls, they're more aggressive than he is, but yet he is the one who is going to probably get in a bit of trouble if there is any trouble at all. So when a parent understands that, then they can help their son understand like, okay, this is the way it is. It's not right. In your home, you can create those safe spaces where your child can be exactly mm-hmm. who he is. But you arm him with information as well so that he doesn't feel it's him. It's something mm. wrong with him. He's doing something bad. It lets him know society is a little bit slow in picking up on how to to accentuate the pluses between both genders and raise both genders in a in a in a way that focuses on both their not only their challenges, but the special gifts that they have to bring. So for that would be the first thing is to help him understand mm-hmm. that it's not it's not him, it's society. Yeah. Um, from a very young age, parents can be working with their sons to increase their emotional vocabulary. That's often one of the mm. difficulties. Yeah. And so if they don't have the vocabulary to express their emotions, and they have a society that says a lot of the more vulnerable emotions are not acceptable, then of course, the only outlet they often have is for anger or you know some kind of aggressive behavior, so increasing their emotional awareness and their emotional vocabulary that's something that you know all parents can do
0: hmm that that's clear kathy so as a as a retired educator, how do you believe the education system can contribute to? fostering a more emotionally supporting and supportive environment for boys and are there any specific challenges that you are seeing in the schools?
1: I have to sometimes be careful to rein myself back a little bit because the in my opinion from Mm -hmm. my experience uh, the education is definitely more geared to a female learner Mm. And although there are changes, like there, there is a movement, there, there are good things that are happening. It is really a slow progression. And it's our little boys that are suffering the most. It's the little boys who are getting diagnosed with a multitude of, of uh, challenges. Uh, it's the little boys that are being sent to the principal's office like 90% of the time. It's the, mm-hmm. little, it's the older boys who are not going to, they're going to drop out of school. It's, there are a lot of things. As far as the beginning of education, there's quite a bit that's been written and explored about having boys start a year later. And because developmentally, they are often between one and two years behind their counterparts when they're starting out. So if you start them at that point, plus the system is geared more to a female style of learning, those little guys, they're just—they're not being set up for success, and it's—it's it, it's really a shame. There needs to be a lot more um, hands-on work in the schools because that's boys uh, often prefer to learn that way, using their hands, moving about. There needs to be more um, more recess, more PE, more physical movement of their bodies, mm-hmm. and and that will support their, their learning. So there are things that people can, you know, education can do, but Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of it uh, being put in place.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I'm loving this conversation. I think this is one of the topics uh, which I've always been fascinated, but I didn't find the right expert. And uh, this has been so enlightening, Kathy. Let's uh, move forward and uh, now talk about your coaching journey, like you coach. uh, uh, parents you offer one-on-one coaching for parents and could you define some common challenges that parents of boys face and how your coaching is helping them address these issues
1: um a lot of the problems are connected with misbehavior
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh communi- communication and energy so those are the three maybe top things parents complain about their boys just never stop moving, they never stop fighting, they never listen. Th- those are the main main complaints in general that parents of boys have.
0: Mhm. And uh, now let's talk about the communication because effective communication is crucial. What are some key principles or techniques you teach parents to enhance their communication with their sons?
1: Well, one of the biggest problems I think is that um from the female perspective, and females and males communicate differently, they they speak differently, they hear differently. And, you know, that's all the, the fact part of it. And you can people can look that up themselves. Mm-hmm. But the, the bottom line is, we speak, and we communicate and we listen differently. So if I am speaking to a little boy, I am speaking to him as I would speak to another female with the same mm. expectations that I have for another female. And that, that is not the most productive way to communicate. So with little boys, especially one of the things um we make a mistake on, especially moms is we talk too much. Mm-hmm. And so for little boys, if the communication can be clear, concise, and, and just, uh, as few words as possible, really just make it really easy. Then the chance of that communication being received. Well, is, is a good one. There is a also connected with, um, with speaking and hearing mm-hmm. often. Um, so an example is like a little boy will, for example, be in his room and uh, before dinner, and in his room playing with blocks or something totally engaged, completely mm. engaged in what he's doing. And, Mom calls upstairs and says, dinner's in five minutes, start to clean up, no answer. Five minutes later, she calls upstairs again, time to come down for dinner, no answer. Third time, she's getting a little bit mad. She calls in a little bit louder voice, no answer. Eventually, she stomps up to the stairs, stands in front of the door and says to her little boy, "You know, listen, if you can't come down when I'm calling you, maybe you don't get to play with Lego anymore before dinner or something to that effect. So A little boy looks at her, completely in shock, has no idea why mm-hmm. his mom so angry. If his mom understood some of the gender differences, if his mom understood that, like, women are excellent at multitasking, mm-hmm. we are. Men, men are males are excellent at single focus they can be so totally into something nothing can distract them you get a little baby who is totally involved in what he is doing and single focused on that and just totally immersed in it that's one factor the other mm-hmm. factor is probably his the the pitch of the voice between female and male is mm-hmm. different so mm-hmm. it just you know it's not coming into his you know place at all. If that mom had gone upstairs, even you know one or two times earlier and stood in the door, got his attention, made sure that he was connected with her and said, Did you hear me? Mm. He probably would have said, No, mom, what did you want? <laughs> and there'd be no fight. she it's time for dinner. He'd say, Great, let's go. But because we don't take those things into consideration and we don't always assume the best, we think they're being defiant. We think they're not listening to us. And we miss we miss uh, the the potential of a deeper connection and relationship.
0: Hmm. This is eye-opening, actually. Certain facts which we overlook most of the times and we go by the assumptions. But if we pay attention, probably we'll get to know more. And thanks for this enlightening conversation, Cathy. And this has been so fascinating. It's time for us to add some more spice and some more excitement to the episode. I'm going to kick off the second rapid fire round. I'll fire a few intriguing questions. Are you ready for it? Okay. (laughs) Let's do it. So so if you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? Trust
1: and surrender. Trust and
0: surrender. Trust and surrender. Wow. And uh, have you ever saved money to buy something you want? And what was it?
1: Uh, I taught an extra month and a half of summer school solely to get new patio furniture.
0: And can you describe yourself in just one word?
1: Complicated.
0: (laughs) I don't feel so. (laughs) Okay. What according to you you was the best invention of the last 50 years?
1: Video calls.
0: Like this. Mm, Yeah. And what is the best gift that you have ever received from someone?
1: Two things from my son. One, when he was a bit younger, but we had a tradition of always, we had to make one gift for each other. And he handmade a little wooden cart that has mum on it. And I keep that and travel with it. And it's always to me. And he also, the last year left for university, he made a song. And Mm. that was his Christmas gift, a
0: special song. So those are them. Superb, superb. And here comes the last bullet out of Rapid Fire Run. What is one electronic gadget or a fantasy gadget that you would like to see or invent yourself?
1: A really easy, practical teleport machine so that if I'm sitting here in Japan and I want to go and have morning coffee with my sister in Canada, I can do it like that. That's
0: what I like. Yeah, that is the most desired invention and I think universe yeah. might respond. It, it might happen soon. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, great rapid fire, uh, Kathy. Let's flip back to the mainstream. And can you tell us more about the online courses and the parent workshops that you offer? What can participants expect to gain from these programs? And probably you can share what is the best way to reach you at
1: The best way to learn anything about everything that I do is on the website. Everything is on the website. Social media links are all on the website. Mm -hmm. Um, I have about uh, probably about a dozen different offerings and a wide variety so that it would cater to not only different topics, but also different ranges of what parents need. So there are free things that people can can take and, and use and benefit from. There are small uh, things that, you know, workshops, webinars, and then there are bigger courses. And they deal with things like um, emotional intelligence, self-esteem, the unconscious bias. There's some things about adolescence, Mm -hmm. um, communication, misbehavior, all those kinds of it covers all the topics and all in a variety of different ways. So that's one way people can work with me. There's also a membership, which is a monthly membership. It's very low because I just wanted to have something accessible to parents. And within that membership, there are a lot, not all Mm -hmm. of my offerings, but a lot Mm -hmm. of those offerings are included. And there's uh, monthly live Q&As and a variety of things. And of course, the other, the main, um, the main thing I offer is the one-on-one coaching. And although it's limited because I'm limited in my time, it's a 12-week program that I do with people. I don't do one-offs anymore. 12 Mm. weeks, both feed in and uh, make a difference for parents.
0: Yeah, seems like a great offering. So for those of you who are interested, you can check out www.sunfoodcoaching.com. I'm going to publish the links in the show notes or the episode description. So go ahead and book a consultation call with Catherine and sign up for these programs and get the best out of it. And Cathy, it's been great conversation. So before I let you go, please share with us, how is your experience being hosted on The Guiding Voice?
1: It was was lovely. It was uh, a variety of different ways of communicating. Um, I loved that you didn't seem to know so much about my topic. So it kind of gave me the energy to uh, share as much as I could with you. So thank you for that.
0: Yeah, most welcome. And uh, I really appreciate you taking time for joining me in this conversation and sharing the amazing, amazing insights with our community and look forward to having many more interactions in the future and have a pleasant day. Thank you so much, Cathy. Thank you very much. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. So folks, that was our episode with Catherine Imabayashi. Before we jump into the fun trivia section, we have a quick request. In case if you haven't already subscribed, please subscribe to our podcast from wherever you have tuned in because subscribing keeps you updated on new episodes and also if you have enjoyed this conversation and found it useful, please share with at least three of your friends or colleagues who would also like the guiding Voice. So spread the knowledge and help others grow just like you. Now let's cruise into the trivia segment of today's episode. So as part of the TGV Global Speaker Series, we have been featuring leaders, academicians and coaches across the globe. And today's guest was from Japan. I thought I would present you three interesting and lesser known facts about Japan. And here comes the first one, the abandoned island of Hashima. Hashima Island is also known as Gunkanjima. Battleship Island is an uninhabited island off the coast of Nagasaki in Japan. It was once a bustling coal mining town in the early 20th century, but was abandoned in the 1970s. The island's unique, densely packed and crumbling concrete buildings make it look like a post-apocalyptic ghost town. It has gained popularity as a filming location in movies and also video games, including the James Bond film Skyfall, the world's shortest escalator. The next fact is about the world's shortest escalator. Japan is home to the world's shortest escalator, which is located in the basement of Moore's department store in Kawasaki. The tiny escalator has only five steps and covers a vertical distance of just 32.8 inches which is about 83.4 centimeters and it's more of a novelty rather than a practical means of transportation but has become a quirky attraction to the visitors but has become a quirky attention for the visitors and the third fact is about fukuoka's yatai food stalls while street food stalls are common in many countries fukuoka a city on the southern island of kyushu is known for its unique street food culture Yatai which are mobile food stalls lines in the city's streets at night offering delicious local dishes like ramen, yakitori and mentaiko which is a spicy roe, in a cozy and open air atmosphere and it's a great way to experience authentic Japanese food and mingle and mingle with locals in a relaxed setting and these facts showcase some of the Japan's intriguing and less explored aspects. Likewise, if you have come across any less known facts about Japan, feel free to comment it. If you are watching it on YouTube, you can comment there directly. Or if you have found this episode on social media platforms, you can comment there. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and also for being part of our awesome community. We would love to hear from you. So do not hesitate to share your ideas and feedback either through our social media or you can also email us at theguidingvoiceforyou at redgmail.com and let's create content that resonates with you. I'm your host Navin Samala, a lifelong learner and my goal is to have impactful conversations that improve not only your life but also your career. So until next time, take care, stay inspired and remember the future holds great things because the best is yet to come. Goodbye for now. See you all in the next episode with another amazing guest. Take care guys.